Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. At Keystone, we believe exceptional organizations don't just happen. They are built by focused leaders that recognize their authentic leadership superpowers. Join us for a serious dose of inspiration. We believe conscious leadership is about leading yourself, leading others, and also leading culture. Head to our website to learn more about our new three-part conscious leadership training series that will help you and your team become conscious leaders. Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Um, and I've got a little different treat for you here today. We haven't had someone with Michael Levin's expertise and background, and he's a New York Times bestselling ghostwriter in the most prolific ghostwriter of all time. So he's going to be able to definitely share some leadership wisdom with us, but also working with some of the biggest people on the planet, right, to, to help them write books and to help share their message with the world. So I will let him share how many books he has ghostwritten because the number is um, going to shock you. Um, but Michael, thank you for being here with us today. Jamie, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. Absolutely. So I would love for you to just start by sharing with our listeners your leadership and success journey, right? What has it looked like? How have you gotten to this point in your in your success? And I know for none of us, it's this straight line. It's this zigzag all over the place. So share with us. Sure. First, thank you again for having me on. Um, I, I'm responsible at this point for close to a thousand books. I've either... I know. I've either as someone write, who has written two and is on her third and is like it's exhausting. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> well, this is why they're ghostwriters because it's not the highest and best of your time or most people's time to do their right. own books. Right. I don't do my own taxes. I don't do my own lawn. <laughs> it's still my taxes. I have to sign the thing. It's still my lawn. So you know, it's really where should your time go? And that's why that's why people bring us in. I haven't written a thousand books. I want to be clear about that. I have a team. I had a much bigger team. I had a ghostwriting business and I sold it four years ago and started a boutique year one three and a half years ago. That's what I do now. And we were doing about 120 books a year at the end, which was too much for me. It was crazy. And uh, so I was very happy to get out from under that. And now we're doing about 30, 35 a year. And that suits me just fine. So the the the, the story uh, in brief, I graduated from Columbia Law School in 1985 didn't like being a lawyer. The two firms I worked at didn't like having me there. I had this little trouble with this thing they call the bar exam, which you have to take and pass. I forgot to sign up for it. The first, you imagine going to your law firm saying, hey, I forgot to sign up for the bar. <laughs> you know, so I mean, the, the only upside of that was that I was, you know, on a beach in France when everybody else was taking the exam. But I was also on a banana peel when it came to my legal career, which was brief but short. So three novels to Simon & Schuster in my late 20s, couldn't agree on terms on the fourth, uh, literally became a starving writer. In 1993, when my classmates were making partner at top New York firms, I was on heating assistance in Massachusetts because my income was under $13,000 a year. And in Massachusetts, they don't want the poor to freeze. So they sent me a little money for that. I met a man in early 94 who has been my mentor for 29 years. And he showed me how to start a business, which was initially offering private writing classes. And uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you're all choked up over my story. And then I'm <laughs> being silly. And then uh, and then um, people just started saying, can you write it for me? So that is literally how I backed into a career in ghostwriting. 
And here we sit, you know, 30 years later and uh, uh, pushing a thousand books uh, on the, uh, on the list. So that's kind of the, that's the story. That is amazing. Well, and it's, you know, it's amazing to hear the law school too, is you, you have these, this idea of what success is, right. And that's what you were supposed to do or wanted to do. And then it was kind of like, well, maybe it's not what it's cut out to be. And there's so many of us that struggle to adjust and transition in that. And and having four kids that are going to be in college in the next five years, I'm feeling the pressure that they're feeling. It's like making these big decisions and thinking that's going to be the rest of your life. So how was that transition for you? Like to not be a lawyer after all those years and all that work of thinking that was going to be your life? Well, it was it was terrifying and liberating at the same right. time. You know, I also have four kids. And sometimes people say, do you ever get writer's block? And I say, no, I have writer's mortgage. So, you know, I don't really, uh, yeah. I have no other marketable skills. So, this, so I'm really yeah. glad I can make a living doing something. I, I, I knew I was not going to stay in the law. I was working for a big firm and doing litigation and representing really shady guys and getting them off. And I just thought, I don't want to do this. I wanted, I wanted to do it for another year so that I could just bank some money and, and then be a starving writer. But it didn't work out that way. So, you know, uh, I was out of law school. I was out of my legal career in less than half the time I'd spent preparing for it in law school. Wow. It was shocking and it was depressing. And I felt really very, very bad about myself. Uh, at the time, fortunately, I didn't have a wife or kids. I didn't have anybody supporting me. But I remember you know, my dad's lawyer. I remember going to him and saying, well, I'm not working for that firm anymore. And uh, it was really embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and then having the grace of God or whatever you want to call it to meet this man who Bob, who has been my mentor, him sitting me down in a Dunkin' Donuts and showing me you're going to work 20 hours a week on these classes. We're going to figure out how much you need to make to, and to support yourself and doing that. And, you know, for years, never having more than 45 days worth of money, uh, you know, it was terrifying. It was really. And then also as a man, I'm competitive and it's tough to be a competitive and a loser at the same time is, you know, it's like, I know I'm good at this. I know I'm smarter than this. I've sold three, you know, I've had my picture in People Magazine, the New York Times, and, you know, I can, I, I, I can't even afford, yeah. So, 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 yeah, it was not, let's just say it was not a party and we can leave it at that. Yeah, but I think there's a, there's a lot of people. And I even, as you talk, I even think about obviously, right. Right now there's a lot of layoffs going on in larger companies. And, you know, there's people that have never been laid off before that are feeling like you're feeling right. Like what I, I feel like I've failed, like I, I'm embarrassed, like in all of those things. And I think it's when you step back and look at it, if you step back and look at your life, it, it had to happen and it happened and then created this other beautiful part of your story, right? That it never would have had you not had to go through that hardship. So outside, I, I want to talk about leadership for a moment, right? And kind of what you learned. And it sounds like that mentor was probably one of these moments, but are there any other moments in your leadership journey that you remember? It's like that shaped who I yeah. wanted to be, who I was. Like, what are those moments that you remember? Yeah, Jane, I'll tell you a story. And first of all, my heart goes out to the people who have been laid off. And uh, it, it could be the blessing in disguise because now, now you're going to get to do what you want to do instead of what you felt you had to do. Right. And, and, and we give up the illusion of uh, security for the reality of I'm going to only uh, eat what I kill. And, right. you know, I, I, it's a much more satisfying way of life. When I was in college, I worked on a student newspaper and there were probably about 15 or 16 of us on the editorial board. This is Amherst College in Western Mass. And on one of the nights we were putting the paper together, we were all sitting in the editorial thing, having the meeting. 
and to talk about the, the next morning's paper. And one of the student groups decided to take us over because they thought that we weren't doing justice to their issues or writing about them enough or you know, what their, whatever their specific issues were. So people start talking about what the story should be. And I just started taking notes because that's what I normally do when I'm writing a story. Amherst College, I got in off the waiting list. You know, I was at the bottom of the, the pile to get in there. These kids were smart and they were great writers. And then at the same time, and I'd been writing for the paper for a while. We all knew each other intimately. And I started taking notes. There was never even a discussion about the fact that I would write the story for the next day's paper about how he had been taken over. It just, there was just no, there was no, no discussion of it. That sort of, you know, so, so I just, I just went about my business writing a story and that was the end of it. And it was a huge moment for me to recognize that all of these smart people were deferring to my ability to, you know, to write. And we were all there because we could write. So, you know, so that was, a, I could give you one or two more, but that's a critical one. Yeah. No, I think that, what does that do to you as a leader then in your future? Like how did, how did you, how do you think that impacted you? Oh, in a word, confidence. Right. You know, you just, you know, I, I, I hear about the imposter syndrome. I've never had it for, you know, for a heartbeat. I know all the things that I'm not good at. And I know what I am good at, which is listening to you and recognizing the book that you could write that no one else could write and that probably no one else could hear you talking about because it's just, it's the overtones. That's my, that's my skill. I have absolute confidence in my ability to do that. And I have a team of writers. I have a, you know, I have, I have, I have an editorial team. I have about 20 people in my business and it's my responsibility to wake up every day feeling confident about the fact that my judgment is going to be right most of the time. And then at the same time, if, if I see a chapter and it's not good enough, back it goes. If the writer cannot be you know, educated as to what we really want, we have to move on. And it's so it really comes down to uh, trusting my judgment. And then at the same time, recognizing that I have a right to be wrong and that other people are going to say, Michael, you're wrong. And I have to listen to that very, very carefully. And you know, and, and let them be right and let them show me something, let them, because otherwise, I mean, I was having a conversation with my daughter the other day, we were having dinner with uh, her husband, she's 23, and her, uh, and, and one of her buddy's friends, and I told a story, and it just wasn't the right story, I read the wrong room wrong, mm -hmm. and I sat down with her, and I said, I, I know I did something wrong last night, what was it, and, and she said, well, you know, here are the things, so, so, so there's, there's got to be an element of humility, and being able to learn from others, even your kid, because otherwise I'm just going to repeat the same thing in Alienator. So do I want to do that? Do I want to alienate my team? Do I, do, do I have to be right? Do I have to win? Or are we trying to get to the best possible outcome? Right. So I have to have confidence, but not too much confidence because, or not, not overconfident in my own judgment right. because it's going to sabotage the whole thing. Well, it's having, like you said, it's having confidence in what you know and being open to the things you don't know. Right. So you can have it both. And I think that's that overconfidence is that we feel like as leaders, a lot of times we have to have everything together and we have to be confident on all aspects when really we're just showing up and as almost narcissists because we we're trying to hold it all together for everybody. When there's areas they're like, you know, you're not good at this. You know, this isn't your area of expertise. Right. I have that in my business as well. And so I want you to transition to talking to us about, you know, you talk about your team and kind of how you work with them. How, 
how would you describe your leadership superpowers? So that confidence piece you talked about, but if I asked your team, what are the words they would use to describe like where your superpowers are as a leader of them? I'd like to, I I, I will hope that they'll say he's a combination of Mr. Magoo and Mm -hmm. Mr. Non-Technology because he keeps bumping into lampposts and apologizing to them and anything technological he's going to mess up. So, you know, so there has to be a sense of humor about yourself and about your limits, because Mm -hmm. if you aren't laughing along with your team at you, then, 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 then they're laughing alone and you're missing, you're missing the joke, which is you. So um, I'd like to think that they see me as educable, that they see me as someone who can be shown that there's a better way. Um, I trust them to do their jobs and I don't tell them how to do their jobs. I just tell them what I want and how and when they do it, I look at it as none of my business. They're adults. Um, there was a book years ago by a Brazilian, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll come back to the, uh, the title, by a Brazilian business leader. I read it in the 80s and uh, um, uh, it was all about how he gave his, he, he said to his people, you don't have to tell me when you're going to the dentist, just go to the dentist, you're grown up. I don't need to know, just leave the office. You don't have to check in or the clock. And, and, and I read this and I thought, my God, that's the way to run it. If I ever ran a business, I would do it on his terms. Then years later, I reread the book and I realized I'm doing exactly what he said, which is let adults be adults, trust them, get out of the way. And then the work that comes in is better than I could have done. The processes that, 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 that they establish for getting the work done are better than anything I could do. I don't have a corporate background. So it's sort of like, you know, hire great people and get out of their way. Don't micromanage. Don't be a jerk. Don't be mean. Don't say mean things. Don't think that, uh, you know, I mean, whenever I go into a drugstore or anywhere, I look at the person behind the counter, I think they don't want to be here. They want to be home with their sick kid, or they want to be home watching Netflix. They don't want to be here. Well, my team members are working for money. They enjoy the job. I hope they enjoy me. But at the end of the day, they're working for a paycheck and, uh, and, and, and whatever else, you know, whatever the psychic benefits are of working. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that that doesn't, give me the right to be, uh, to play God to them or, or to be mean. I've had some horrific bosses and I've had some really, really nasty clients. So not lately, I just fire them. You know, I can do that today, you know, but I, my God, I just don't want to be like the bosses I had. It's that, it's that treat the the human connection. It's like, we're all humans. You know, I say this all the time to our clients and executive teams is, we're talking about a, an issue, somebody that's an issue in the organization, right? This leader that's doing this. And my question always to them is, do you believe this person comes in every day wanting to be that way? Or do you think there is something going on in the environment that's either not supporting them, that's not allowing them to be successful, that's not... And the answer is always like, I don't believe they come in, right? With the chip on their shoulder and wanting to... so. As leaders, our job is to remove those obstacles and just let people be their best version of themselves. And that's the hardest thing for us, though, is to be able to admit some of those things that aren't working and to even when we don't know the answer and how to fix them. So I love I love that approach and I, I love how you think about it. Um, I, what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now, whether, you know, just personally in business, like what's as a leader, what's the biggest challenge and headwind that you have? My own impatience. Oh, touche, me as well. (laughs) I'll say this. I learned a long time ago um, not to buy into hard times talk. I was told that if there's a recession, you can choose not to participate in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My clients are wealthy and 
uh, successful, and they are in essentially insulated from what's going on day to day. So, so I don't watch the. I was a news junkie. I read two years ago in a book that uh, uh, by a doctor I respect that news causes inflammation and inflammation causes disease. Stop watching the news. I stopped watching the news. I feel better. I feel calmer. Um, and at the same time, I do not participate in negative talk. If people are talking about how bad things are, I walk away from them. From my perspective, there's gold dust in the air. There's money to be made. No matter what's going on in the economy, a lot of people are doing absolutely fantastically well. So, so I, 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 I don't buy into the concept of, well, there's a recession. You know, I, I, I won't even finish the word, let alone, let alone the attitude. And instead, um, I set goals and then I get really impatient because I put dates by which the, because that's what I'm told to do in the, by such, a, and then I get really impatient and scared because the date is coming and these things haven't happened yet. And what I have to do is just get over myself. One of my biggest challenges is remembering that just because something is a top priority for me doesn't mean it's a top priority for the other person. And I go at 6 million miles an hour. Most people don't. Most people, I don't know what they do. I guess yeah, I always say to myself, well, I guess that person has enough money because he's not returning my calls. He doesn't need, you know, and, and, and I don't get that. I don't get that mentality. So I just have to, I just have to remember that here on planet earth, other people have their own pace and I can't hurry it. And, you know, God runs the universe and is in charge and I'm not, or whatever you believe and just stay out of the way and stop being impatient. So it's my own impatience because that leads to frustration and anger and fear. So it's it, 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 it's it's my own mindset is my uh, can be my worst uh, my worst problem. Right, and what we don't realize is when we get ourselves all wrapped around the axle on something, it's actually impacting us. It's not impacting anybody else. It's impacting our health and our stress levels. And I think we operate in that world thinking if we just get more and more frustrated, then maybe something will change. And it's the opposite approach, right, to actually having it change. It's been a big learning for me as a leader, and in, in that I can't. I can't stress myself out to change. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. It's very funny. Yeah, yes. I mean, it does. It just doesn't do any good. It just no. doesn't. And then other people pick up on it and you become, you know, then I become unattractive to do business with, to work for, to have a relationship with. And, and, and I don't want to be that guy. So it, instead, it's it's I, I, I do have to uh, set expectations Absolutely. I do have to, uh, you know, I do, the chapters do on Tuesday. It's not due Thursday or, or whenever you want to get around to it. Right. We live in a world of quiet quitting and all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. They can quiet quit somewhere else, but if they pull that stuff here, they're gone. And, and, and that's okay. If, if that's their, if, if their attitude toward right. work is not, let's get the work done. But the thing is that I have to, I have to be fair in terms of setting them up to succeed, which means here's the deadline as opposed to it's amorphous and, you know, you played the game according to my rules and you lost and you didn't know what the rules were. Right. You can't, you know, see, so you, you have to be fair that way. And at the same time, you have to set expectations for, for others and and then it's up to them to live up to them or not. Right. And I want to go back to your your comment about watching the news and, and some of this. This is probably the sixth conversation I've had in the last week with a leader who is feeling very similar, right? On just, if something is making me feel bad, I have to stop. It's it, right. Whether it's a drug or it's alcohol or it's the news or it's a person, right? It's the same thing. If things don't make you feel well, stop doing them. Social media can be that for a lot of people, but this idea, this mass consciousness of fear, right, that we're creating in our society, I think it takes more leaders like us to say, we're not fearful. 
I know what I control and I know what I don't control, right? That can be a religious thing, like surrender, right? Like give it up, but it also can just be like, I'm not going to solve economic policy or influence it in any way. Like I'm just going to control what I can control and do really good work with good people. And I know I'll be okay in the end, whatever okay is. It might not be exactly what I want at exactly the time, but I think more of us just stepping back and saying enough. Like we don't have to live in this perpetual fear and fight or flight and everything's going to fall apart world. We can choose to be in a different place by listening to podcasts like this, right? By choosing who you pay attention to. Yeah, that that's that that's exactly right. And I I um I, I just I I couldn't agree more. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Are there, I'm curious, just because I'm always looking for other, are there people you follow or listen to, right, that that help you kind of stay above the line in your thinking? Yeah, I, I go back to the to the to the classics. Uh, I'm a big Earl Nightingale guy. I'm a big mm-hmm. Tony Robbins guy. Um, Jim Rohn, uh, Catherine. Mm-hmm. I love Catherine Ponder. No one's heard of her. She she talks about the spirituality of money. And so, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm getting my stuff ready for the next day or when I'm getting stuff ready in the morning, I'll put on one of those people on YouTube and mm-hmm. it just sort of raises my frequency. It just reminds me, these are the standards that I hold myself to. This is what I'm trying to accomplish in life. And, and you know, sometimes it just takes just a moment of, you know, you go, oh yeah, that's right. That's who I'm trying to be. As opposed to, and I'll say this, that sometimes even though something is pernicious and negative, uh, like social media, there's still a payoff or the news, there's still a payoff. There's still a benefit, even though the benefit is destructive. The benefit for watching the news is anger and fear, which are emotions that sort of take you out of the little narrow box we live in and out to the margins. And it's like going on a thrill ride. It's going on a roller coaster. And all you had to do was just put on CNN. Well, you know, it doesn't do you any good to have your anger elevated and your fear elevated constantly. It wears you down. It wears out your 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 your, your system. Right. And all you're doing is getting the thrill of having other people agree with your position. And, and it's like, that's a, that's a, that, that's a drug. And it's a it's 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 a benefit, but it's not real. It's 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 a sickness. And letting go of that, you know, it, it seems like well, I won't know what's going on. Hey, you know what? I know what's going on because everybody else is talking about it. I'll hear about it, and if I don't hear about it, it didn't matter that much. I, I'm aware of the fact that there was a, a a a situation in Mexico this week. You know, I'm I'm aware of the fact that um, you know we have a the president. Is, I, I know the name of the president. More than that, I really, I really don't want to know. You know, it doesn't right. do any, do any good. Right? Yeah, I, I love it. Long um, answer. Sorry. About that. No. So, given that kind of everything that we've talked about, right? It, it, there's, there's nothing that we've talked about. No offense. That's it, rocket science. This is very, it's, it's sim- simple, but not always easy, right? To implement in in the concept for for a leader that's listening, for somebody that's that's feeling the way we just talked about, right? The news. What's one thing that if they're just going to like like just do this one to start here? What would you tell them? I would say be be coachable or be more coachable. Uh, I go to a program uh, uh, quarterly or sometimes monthly on entrepreneurship to become a better entrepreneur. I don't think I have all the answers. I have wise people I can turn to. I've a deep bench in a whole lot of areas because. I don't think the answers are in here. I know they're not. I can't figure it out. I can't figure anything out. So the best suggestion I can offer is be coachable, or if you are, then be more coachable and go to the top. Always go to the top people who can answer a question for you. Get the benefit of their wisdom. And I have no 
uh, hesitation to lay myself out there and say, this is what I'm going through. I have no pride about any of that stuff. To me, pride is stupid. It's just simply, what can I learn? How can I, how can I be better? How can I solve this problem? How can I look at something differently? And you know, still keep the goals, but just take the date off it so I'm not crushing myself with impatience and fear. You know, other people have the answers. Uh, I, I heard gray hair means information center. You know, <laughs> go to the people who have the information and, and you know, and, and then act on it. But be coachable would be the one, be more coachable because we all are to some degree, but be more, be even more and more and more coachable. So you're learning more and gaining more from more different sources and it makes you a better person. And I think that whole idea of kind of as creating a community, right, that can help coach you informally is is really important too, because it opens you up to different ideas and it softens some of your judgment, right? You get different perspectives and you challenge your belief. I think that community piece is important as well in finding that community that lifts you up. It really is. And we live in times that are exactly the opposite. We live in times of absolute isolation. I mean, even before COVID, uh, you know, every phone has an app on it called the phone, but nobody uses it. Everybody's texting or hiding behind technology. The idea of actually calling somebody, for, you know, it's like, it's just, who would do that? You know, it's my, and, and the thing is that we have to sort of set all that stuff aside and remember that society works because of empathy, which came thousands of years ago when people started looking into each other's eyes and saying, hey, we have common cause, let's get together and solve problems together. And it's the same thing today in the business world or in families or anything else. So, you know, just just getting out of the isolation, um, uh, uh, whether it's, per, you know, we're all working, you know, a lot of us are working from home. I'm working from home today. Yeah. And it's not good because you're not around other people with whom you can have. I'd, uh, the other thing I heard is that is that is that um, uh, dictators have yes men and uh, statesmen and stateswomen have advisors. So if you have the humility to have somebody who's going to say, that's a great idea, that's a great idea, that's a terrible idea. Where did that come from? You know, you're not going to go off a cliff and you're not going to take the business or your family off a cliff with you. So, right. you know, how willing how willing are you to engage with other people, to to be coachable, to to add, to, to to risk embarrassment because you're you're laying yourself bare and saying, look, I'm not perfect. I've got a problem here. I don't know how to solve. Yeah. It's also called being human. So let's all be human instead of just being technological, perfect things that are, you know, do I work for my phone or does my phone work for me? Sometimes I can't tell. You know? Yeah. I love that idea of advisors too. We purposely in our business don't say we're consultants or we're contractors or we're, we're advisors. And we believe that, right? We walk into the room because we're here to tell you the good and the bad and some of the ugly. And that's what you pay us for. Otherwise, go hire a consultant that's just going to tell you what you want to hear, right? But that advisor word is a very strong word. And we all need advisors around us, whether you're paying a company to do it or it's just the mentor that you've had. It's got to be somebody you trust enough that you know they're going to tell you when you're off base, right? Or you're doing something wrong. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, left to my own devices, I'm going to drive my business off a cliff. I'll drive my family. I'll just, I'll just make stupid decisions because they seem like a good idea at the time, yeah. you know? And, and, and part of being an entrepreneur, what's part of what's exciting is that you can make a decision and you can hire a person and you can get a problem solved all the same day. Right. Well, you know, you, you better, you, you better know what you're doing or you better run it by somebody because, because otherwise, you know, it's stupid. So right. I, I tend not to make any important decision. I'll, you know, I'll write one email about here's my problem. And then I'll think about five or six different people to send it to at different points of view. 
and then I'll triangulate all the guidance I get and and then come up with an answer based on the fact that I'm not, um, I'm I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm confident in my ability to run a business, but I'm not confident in my ability to make the right decision every single time. I wouldn't dream right. of that. Successful people I know are, you so know, for the, the kindest. most the yeah. absolute the kindest and the most shockingly generous. Correct. I would agree with that statement. I want to I want to get into our bonus yeah, round yeah, of questions yes. here. So some yes. fun stuff. And this one might be a hard one for you because you read and you like authors. So if you could have coffee with any historical figure, dead or alive, who would it be and why? And probably because yeah. you want to write a book about him. Oh, it, it would be my mother's father, Walter Graubart, who uh, was born in Poland. And when he was 12, he ran away to Czechoslovakia in 1920 because he knew it wasn't going to be good uh, you know, for his people there. And then after a year teaching, he got a job teaching elementary school for a year in Czechoslovakia. And he realized this is no better. So he went to Belgium. He's, you know, I, I wouldn't let my 13-year-old kid cross the street. He crosses Germany, goes to Belgium all alone, selling buttons door to door, makes enough money for a, a, a clothing store, goes back to Poland, meets my grandmother, marries her. The war starts. He immediately knows this is not going to end. And they start running and they get out and they're in Cuba and then New York. And and I want to, I, I would want to have dinner with he died when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to have, I would love to have dinner with him and just say, how did you get across Germany? And just the stories and the richness of, well, and the confidence that it would take, right? And and what he tapped into to be able to do that. No, how do you know it was going to be that bad? How did you know that when, when so many other people were hoping it wouldn't be or... So we talk a lot about, right? Is as, that as, a depressing answer? Should I have said Mark? No, Blake? that was great. I love it. Like, hey, it's not, it's your answer. Own it. That's my answer. I I absolutely own it. So we believe that to lead well, you need to be well, right? We need, you need to manage your own energy as a leader to be the best you can be for your team. What's one thing you do consistently to manage your own energy? I work really, really hard at personal care. Um, I run marathons. I'm 64. I'll run a half next month. I'll run my 10th Boston in April. You can go to michaelrunsboston.com and support me. Oh yeah. For Dana Farber. (laughs) Because I'm way too slow to, t- you like the way I snuck that in? <laughs> and the thing is that when you have a race coming up, it makes you conscious every single day. What am right. I eating? What am I drinking? Uh, am I getting enough rest? Am I getting to the gym? So, you know, I always say that you don't finish the Boston Marathon on the first Monday in April. You finish it at 530 in the morning in January when it's freezing and you head out to the gym to get your workout in because, mm-hmm. you, know, because you know that the diligence is going to make all the difference when you get to mile 23. So, so having a race offers a focus, you know, for all the preceding months, am I taking care of myself? And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a nutcase for supplements and I'm a nutcase for, 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 for tests and blood work and all that other stuff. And, uh, I can still get hit by a bus, but you know, if I don't, I just really funny thing, this woman turned 106 and they said, what's the best thing about being 106? And she said, less peer pressure. Like I love go. that. I love it. Well, good luck in Boston. I'll, I'll, I'll watch. I'll live vicariously through you because I have no urge to do that. But that's amazing. Um, yeah, we'll wait to the very end because uh, yeah. <laughs> that's when I'll show up. <laughs> that's what would happen with me as well. Um, and then the last question is, what does being ridiculously human mean to you? Ridiculous means, let's think that through. Ridiculous means leading to laughter. And, you know, for me, if I don't realize how silly the how silly the whole thing is on some level and if i can't laugh at myself i'm missing i'm missing the whole point mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, on, on one level, I mean, I think about this all the time. Why are we here? Why is there a planet with all this beautiful nature and all these opportunities? Why are there people? Why is there love? Why are human beings, you know, so amazingly designed that we're these giant food processors that can walk around and love and write poetry and and, and go to, con- you know, why? And I, I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is that it might be important. So I, I, I try to strike a balance between the importance of it all and the gravity of it all Right. With at the same time, just the absolute ridiculousness of being a human being that, you know, might look important and have a really great CV, but I still have to, you know, uh, go to the bathroom X number of times a day. I still try, you know, right. I, right. I, that, that, that's the balance that, uh, yeah. that I love that. Thank you for sharing your journey, for sharing your wisdom, for I, this stuff matters. You know, we, we talk about the community for this podcast is people that just want to get better and they want different perspectives and they, they probably want some validation too of like, yeah, I feel that same way. And I need to stay the course, right. And even though it's still hard to feel that way or to live in that space right now, because there's a lot of hard stuff that happens to us. And so I think you just bring a a levity to that conversation. And I appreciate you. I appreciate the community uh, that continues to engage in this podcast. I'm, I'm full of gratitude for the impact that we're able to make with us. So thanks again for being here today with us, Michael. It was a real privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for great questions and a great experience. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes as soon as we release them. And remember to keep maximizing your unique leadership superpowers. It truly is the key to building success, both in your career and in life.